0: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Cassidy McCraney. I should have this job. This is the second time... In a month that I've had to do this, and my dad's going to get a beating for it. You better know. He's at Carl's Jr. And uh, a man is uh, threatening to commit suicide out in the parking lot, so they're not allowing anybody to leave the Carl's Jr. So we're waiting on him. He just got out the back door uh, through God's <laughs> and he's here. I'm thinking I should just take over. I think this is God's way of telling you. To quit? That it's your time to step down. You're going to
1: think this stuff is made up. (laughs) Honest to goodness. I'm sitting in Carl's Jr. just just a minute ago, two minutes ago. It's right by the station. I go to leave, and all the people in there say, you can't go. There's a man sitting in his car. Pray for him. There's a man sitting in his car, and uh, he has a gun, and he's going to kill himself. And the police won't let us leave. So I walk out. All the doors are locked. I walk out and say, hey, man, I got to (laughs) go. I say, I got to do a live TV. I don't care what you got to do. There's a man with a a gun right there in in that car. Get your body back into that restaurant right now. So I'm, I, I go back in, everybody's afraid the gunsman's going to come into the Carl's Jr. to shoot everybody in there. And uh, so Derek goes, and he goes with clandestine operation, pulls up next to it on the east side. Cops are looking the other way. I sprint for it, out the door, jump in his car, off we go. We make it. So. I tell you, it's a wild ride. Uh, I guess the the rule that I can't leave here is going to hold true. That's disturbing me more than anything else. Live from the Mecca Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to participate in this ministry, and uh, may he be with you and us tonight. Uh, Heart of the Matter can be seen uh, right now anywhere at www.hotm.tv. Cold weather means cold people out on the streets. Join us as we seek to support the Salt Lake Rescue Mission, who feeds and clothes the homeless. How can you help bring new socks and uh, barely used or new coats uh, to for males or females to the station here, 314 South Redwood Road, uh, 9 AM to 3 PM Monday through Friday. And we'll deliver them in bulk over to uh, the rescue mission on your behalf. We do church on Sundays, it's deconstructed, it's based on studying the word, uh, singing the word, prayer and fellowship period, we meet at 10 and at 2.30, 10 is called milk, 2.30 is called meat, and expect the teaching to uh, match that accordingly, want more info, go to campus.com, and yes, we will be having church on Christmas, and no, we will not be talking about the Christmas holiday, so if you want to come, feel free. Also on Sundays from 1 p.m. a.m. 820, The Truth Replays, uh, Heart of the Matter, on the air. A.M. 820 is a great Christian radio source. Check it out. Okay, this Saturday, December 17th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., I will be at the Murray Lifeway Christian Bookstore for a book signing. The book uh, I'll be uh, signing is the new one, Mormonism Meets Biblical Christianity Face to Face. Um, Come to... 336 State Street and Murray. Say hello. Seems the missionaries are using a new um, tactic now as they go door to door. And that tactic is when someone questions their faith or some fact about Mormonism, they've uh, been taught now to say, I'll bet you $10,000 that it's not true. Ba-da-ba. If you don't know what that's about, you will. All right, listen, 300th show on Tuesday night, December 27th. Heart of the Matter will be filming its 300th uh, show. Praise God. We hope you will all come down and join us here at the station. We're going to have door prizes, refreshments, special guests, giveaways to all uh, who get there and are able to fit. That's Tuesday night, December 27th here on States, on uh, Redwood Road, 314 South Redwood Road. Get here early if you want a seat. Last uh, year, two years ago when we did the 200th year, 200th show celebration, uh, the place was packed. So if you want to get, uh, be here and get a seat, get here early and uh, it'll be a great time. Afterward, we're going to have a reunion pastor in the pub. Those of you who have watched the show for a long time know we used to do a thing called pastor in the pub. Till I used to get too drunk, I couldn't leave. And so we started, just kidding. I didn't drink, Adam. Uh, we would go to a pub or somewhere and meet after the show. Where we're going to do a pastor in the pub, and we're going to meet at the Denny's on 5th South. And uh, it'll be a celebratory night, a great time. That's December 27th. It is right after Christmas. If you're in town, you have the time, come join us. It will be fun. Listen to this email I received from a trustworthy person who will remain anonymous. This is what he said. Quote, I am working on several smartphone app initiatives, and as part of what I have come to find out is more disturbing news, Mormon bishops are equipped with an app that scores everyone in the ward, think of it as the naughty and nice list, with a single number to quantify, qualify their worthiness. The app is not in the Apple App Store, but it is called the MLS Mobile, Mobile a Member and Lender, excuse me, Member and Leader Services. It has everything about the member, including their name, date of birth, address, church history, baptismal date, confirmation date, endowment date, recommend expiry, um, priesthood, mission status, marital status, spouse member status, sealed status, prior spouse sealing status. It is interesting that everyone is ranked by this one number at about... The number 12, I notice that the name color changes and that most adults who are under a score of 12 uh, are not ordained. Uh, I am not sure what the algorithm is or what real purpose is, but I'm sure you can find out in email. I don't know what the algorithm is either, but my friend, I can make a guess. It all amounts to Mormon people receiving their own worthiness digit, one through 12, so bishops can receive better inspiration on how to run their wards Uh, and while the news makes me sick, it also makes perfect sense for a religious institution, a machine to digitize its people down to a single digit so as to use them most efficiently. I can't help but recall other groups that, over the course of history, have assigned people a number who are in their control as well. Scary. Speaking of frightening, people are selling replicas of a ring Joseph Smith wore most of his life. It's a silver ring and it has a simple oval circle on it. They describe it on the ad as as saying that it represents the eternality of man. Mormon bishops, uh, so let's do some grocery store math here. Mormon bishops have an app and it signs everybody in their wards a number relative to worthiness. Number one, I'm presumably, are the very best. 12 are probably the people who are struggling the most. Add in that the founder of Mormonism wore a ring that's, that's marketed today and it symbolizes the eternal nature of man and not God. Put it all together under the bright light of the Bible and the final sum is one diabolical attempt to raise up a human nation of gods. Uh, sounds exactly what, like what Satan's ambitions were uh, before he was, uh, fell from glory. How about a moment from the word? This week, we uh, come to the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. The LDS believe this miracle occurred, as do Christians. But there are some elements of the LDS uh, that I just didn't understand. Uh, Two, one is about their drinking. I'm going to cover that next week. But this week, let's just talk about what they say was going on there. The LDS leadership has historically either said or alluded to the idea that Jesus was married. And they use this story in the Bible as a proof text to support the idea. Let's talk about this for a second. As a member of the LDS First Presidency, Hugh B. Brown said, quote, Celestial marriage is an everlasting covenant prerequisite to exaltation and eternal progress in the kingdom of God, end quote. Within this indisputable law firmly in place in LDS teachings, and Jesus being what the Mormons call a perfect example of how man is supposed to live, the LDS have long but quietly maintained that he therefore must have been married. And when did this marriage take place in Scripture? James Talmadge, in his utterly absconded work from Edersheim, Jesus the Christ, said that there would be no reason Jesus' mother would come to him at this scene when she came to him and say, hey, we've run out of wine, uh, unless she and Jesus were involved in the wedding, meaning he was the groom in this story. Throughout the Journal of Discourses, there are references to Jesus being married, but to whom? Listen, LDS Apostle Orson Pratt made the following comments, which have made a permanent home in high priest discussions even today. Speaking of Jesus coming from uh, the tomb and seeing Mary, Pratt wrote, She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say master, is, and then he says, is there not here manifested the affections of a wife? End quote. Speaking of the wedding at Cana here in Matthew, Apostle Pratt said, now there was actually a marriage, and if Jesus was not the bridegroom on that occasion, please tell us who was. We say it was Jesus Christ who was married to be brought into the relationship whereby he could see his seed before he was crucified. This was taught at an October 1854 general conference. This means Jesus had children too, according to the LDS. These types of quotes, plus dozens of others, have made the LDS claim uh, for Jesus' first miracle to be his own wedding. What does the Bible, what did Jesus himself say about marriage? It clears up everything. In Luke 20, 34, Jesus said when speaking of marriage, listen, he said, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage. Anyone who suggests that Jesus was a child of this world does not know Jesus. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you. We pray for the man who is considering taking his life. We pray that he will uh, uh, think and that your spirit will touch him and know there is another way, and that way is you. We pray for all who are involved in this program, all who support, all who are interested in all seeking truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So Martin Harris returned from his trip to New York and seemed satisfied enough with what he discovered there to continue on supporting Joseph in the Book of Mormon story. In April of 1828, Harris returned to Harmony, Pennsylvania. That's where Emma and Joseph were staying. And that was also a place I actually visited when I was on my mission to Pennsylvania, Harrisburg as a Mormon missionary. Watched my mission president baptize uh, one of his sons there. Harris came to Harmony to relieve Emma of her duty as a scribe. Listen carefully. Joseph and Harris were separated by a blanket or a curtain as Joseph, quote unquote, translated from the book. This is intriguing because the plates, as we know from previous shows, were hidden out in the woods because Emma's father wouldn't allow them to be in the house that he owned. So the plates were not there, and yet a blanket still separated Joseph and the Mark, Martin Harris. Why the separation? Joseph was using the spectacles at this time, supposedly, the Urim and Thummim, as we've showed you, and, but still... If he was doing that, why the blanket? Because Joseph had no problem dictating the Book of Mormon or translating it to Oliver Cowdery without a blanket in between and still supposedly... Uh, receiving revelation so why a blanket between he and Harris I would suggest that at this stage of the game Joseph had a paper outline with him maybe some reference notes on the material he was going to translate for the day and probably a King James Bible to throw him some passages to uh, make Martin Harris believe this was a scriptural book Using his imagination for a civilization Joseph had described years before to his family, before the golden plates were ever brought forward, he narrated a story somewhat extemporaneously. That means he told the story using his notes and things from his mind. All right? The process was extremely slow. How slow? Joseph and Harris worked for two months from April of 1828 to June of April to June of 1828, okay? If we take the time Emma had helped Joseph prior to this and add it to these two months, Joseph averaged less than one full page of manuscript per day. As a fairly incompetent writer, uh, that is even slow for me. So after Harris's two months of painstaking work, 116 pages were completed between his work and Emma's prior to his arrival. At this point, Martin Harris asked Joseph if he could take the 116 pages in order to convince his skeptical wife that there was value in this endeavor he was involved in. At first, Joseph said no. They had worked hard and produced a sizable amount of what was supposed to be an actual historical record, but Joseph then relented. I'm sure Emma wanted more time with him, especially considering the fact that she was about to give birth. And maybe Joseph thought this was a good time for Harris to go back to Palmyra, take the 116 pages, and convince his dubious wife. You see, Joseph knew it was one thing to have Harris on board, but to get his wife on board, too, would have been everything in terms of him getting money. So Joseph relented. And the decision would forever alter the course of Joseph's life, the nature of the Book of Mormon, and the very essence of the LDS Church today and how they see him. I cannot overly emphasize how monumental a month, June of 1828, was for Joseph Smith personally. Remember that month, June of 1828. From everything I've read, I would suggest that this single month both reveals the hoax of Joseph Smith's first vision, and it also paradoxically set him up as what the LDS today call a prophet. You see, and I admit this is conjecture on my part, but when you take a person who has been taught to be religiously mystical from a child, but who at the same time has, is a con man in his heart, um, such a person walks a fine line between being extremely ambitious and at the same time fearing God. It's, it's kind, of a, a kind of a divided line in their mind. I would suggest that Joseph Smith in June of 1828 found himself at the height of this state, torn between what he had been taught God was and torn between his ambitions to make a lot of money through being a con. And the tension drove drove him to some really desperate points. You see, in June of 1828, several things happened that pushed Joseph Smith to the edge. Um, First, his wife Emma underwent a horrific childbirth where she almost lost her life. I do believe Joseph loved Emma and was capable of love um, and to feel love. And to a mystically-minded young man who was pulling off a con, such a trial can have a powerful effect, influence on his person. To make matters worse, when Smith's wife gave birth, she gave birth to an extremely deformed young boy who was stillborn. And this too must have rocked Joseph's world Uh, insurmountably, he probably had all the normal thoughts anybody would have when a child is born to them, stillborn and extremely deformed, according to Sophia Lewis, who was related to uh, Emma and was present at the delivery. So you take a people who were very much backwooded in folk magic and embraced all sorts of superstitious notions, and the fact that Joseph had been taught all those things and now was trying to pull off a con, it probably works heavily on his mind. Why do I say this? What did he do? He joined the Methodist church. This is in 1828. Joseph Smith, who said God the Father and Jesus Christ, visited him in 1820 and told him that none of the churches were true. They were all an abomination in his sight, and their professors all drew near to God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. Joined the Harmony Pennsylvania Methodist Episcopal Church in June of 1828. If this isn't the death knell to the whole fabricated first vision story that he created years later, I don't know what is. To prove that Joseph joined, Joseph Lewis wrote this, which was published in the Amboy Journal, June 11, 1879. It reads, the facts are these. I, with Joshua McCune, a local preacher at the time, I think in June 1828, heard on Saturday that Joe Smith had joined the church on Wednesday afternoon. We thought it was a disgrace to the church to have a practicing necromancer, a dealer in enchantments and bleeding ghosts in it. So on Sunday, we uh, we talked with him some time before the meeting, told him that his occupation habits and moral character were at variance with the discipline, that his name would be a disgrace to the church, that there should have been a recantation, confession, and at least a promised reformation, that he could that day uh, publicly ask to that his name be stricken from the class book or stand investigation. He chose the former and did that very day ask, make the request, that his name be taken off the class book." End quote. Now, many uninformed LDS will say this is not true. This never happened. In fact, one Mormon elder by the name of Edwin Cadwell, a member of the reorganized church, sent the Amboy Journal a letter to try and refute the story. But Cadwell, in his efforts to refute the story, only uh, emphasized that it was true. Cadwell wrote to the Amboy Journal this, Messrs. Lewis said Joseph joined the ME church, but that his name was on the class book only three days. A very short probation indeed. Now, Mr. Morse, Cadwell's neighbor, says he was the leader of the said class and that to his certain knowledge, Smith's name remained on the book for about six months when it was dropped as Smith did not seek to become a full member, End quote. Unwittingly, Elder Cadwell, in seeking to embarrass the source who said that Joseph was only there for um, three days, he comes up and says he was there for six months. But he doesn't refute the fact that in 1828, after Joseph supposedly had a vision from God saying don't join, he went and actually joined the Methodist church. Years later, he would concoct the first vision dated 1820 and completely ignore this little detail of his life who he didn't tell anybody until the records were discovered later. To add more pain to Smith's heart, he was rejected by organized religion, was told that he either had to endure an investigation into his character or leave. He left, and it appears this added bitter fuel to his already negative opinion of organized religion uh, of his day. The final straw, what I believe broke Joseph Smith's direction uh, that he had been taking, occurred also in June of 1828. With Emma almost having died, and in the process delivering to him an extremely deformed son, and the local Christian congregation refusing to have him for a member for being a charlatan, Joseph must have started to wonder about this time, what happened to Martin Harris and the 116 pages he allowed him to take to Palmyra. Harris' scheduled return came and went. No word. Once Emma was healed enough from her near-death experience, Joseph traveled immediately to Palmyra to find Harris and his pages of early American history. He found Harris, but no 116 pages. Harris said he had sequestered them away in a drawer and that his suspicious wife must have taken them. No matter what Harris said or did, his wife would not give them back to her husband. When Joseph himself approached Lucy Harris, she contemptuously challenged him to replace the missing pages by the same method he had acquired them. Now, pause here and think about this. This is real history. Wouldn't this be the exact thing a resourceful, doubtful, strong wife would do if she thought her husband was being duped by a bunch of con men? I could see my own wife doing this. Takes the pages, hides them away, and then, being older than Joseph Smith and wiser, challenges him face to face, saying, Joseph, you've got your plates. Go back and rewrite what you've already produced. It ought to be the same material, right? And you know, if it was true and it was a historical record taken from plates, then the account should be, I mean, close to the same. I mean, if if, if it's not exactly the same, that's fine, but it should be the same. But there was no way in the world Joseph, who extemporaneously dictated this story uh, to Martin Harris with outlines and books and stuff, was able able to reestablish the storyline or the quotes or the order. He knew this was it. And when he found this out, man, his house of cards sunk. It was over. And... Then we have to ask, what happened? How long was the period of time between the wife, the deformed baby, the rejection from the church, uh, losing that 116 pages, the whole con, gone a mess? What happened between then and when he started to retranslate? And then what was brought forth? How was it brought forth? And what did it produce? How did Joseph Smith then respond to this thing that happened? What did he say was the reason the 116 pages were gone? How did he build that into the narrative of the next book that he was going to produce? It's all going to be revealed in the coming shows as we go forward. So uh, check in with us uh, as we continue on. Let's uh, open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. First time callers only, LDS callers preferred, Our ability to produce this program is directly related to you and your support. We are approaching year's end. Don't usually say this, but at year's end we do. We are a viable, tax-exempt Utah church. Any and all donations for those of you who are needing an exemption on your taxes, you might consider, prayerfully consider, Aletheia Ministries. In light of all this, take and consider the following. Listen, what happened? I, we came back and suddenly we have four kids. They've taken over. We have some great guests here on the show, and we love to have kids come up. We missed them at the front because of my being incarcerated temporarily. So your name is Ellen. One more time. Ellen! See. And your name is? Sadie. Sadie. And your name is? Austin. Austin. Brianne. Brianne. And where are you guys all from? Are you one family here? Brian's of a different family, and your brothers and sisters, and and where do you guys all? Li- Brian, where do you live? Earth, Earth, and where do you guys live? Draper, Earth, and Draper, two great places. Hey, thanks for being on the show. Is there anything you want to say to your friends? Bye. We bye, and that's a really good thing to say. All right, kids, off we go. Careful of your, of your steps. We've got all kinds of chords there. Move these chairs up, William. Ayer. Okay, listen. Before we go to the phones, I want to remind you that we are producing a brand new television show, uh, uh, a program starting in January of 2012. It's called The X Files. The X Files. If you have been LDS and you're now a born again Christian, we would love to have you on this program, which is going to be hosted by Bishop Earl and Mark Marriott, both former LDS members. We're going to have a new set, we're going to have a new everything, and we really believe it's going to uh, uh, help in um, what we do to reach our LDS family and friends. So if you're interested, uh, go to www.xmormonfiles.com, and all you do is go to that, and you type in your name, you type in your email, and you type in who you are, and, and uh, Earl and Mark will get to you and talk to you about that, okay? All right, let's go to the phone. They got a message for him, but I'll get it in a minute. Let's go to Sonny, uh, who is a first-time caller. Sonny, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sonny? Sonny? Nope. Evelyn from Ogden, not active. What's going on, Evelyn? Um. Yeah, Sean. Um, it's a pleasure to
2: um get to talk to you. Um, I have a question as to my brother. Um, who's um LDS and has raised um seven kids in the church, and but you know how they com- make the comment that families are forever and families are everything. Um, what I'm wondering is. He has two daughters that are not going to get married, and they will not have all that celestial kingdom
3: yeah. or or
2: um, whatever they do, yes. do in the temple.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And what I was wondering was, will his daughters be able to make it to the highest kingdom where my brother will be?
1: Well, there is a teaching in Mormonism that says, don't deny the power of the priesthood in the sealing. This is how it works. This is the safeguard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your brother and his wife, they marry in the temple. They're sealed together with their children. Some of the children go south. They go crazy. They don't believe in the church or whatever. In time, the LDS teach... That in time, those wayward children, once they've learned and overcome their stuff after this life, through whatever process that is, they will be united with their family as long as the couple remains faithful. That's the teaching. So, I don't know how it works in their thinking Uh, or theology, but that's the teaching. So, um, marriage really does not have nothing to do with it. If the, if, um, the sibling, if the children of a couple do not marry in the temple, they are sealed to that couple still, and they will ultimately be with that couple eternally according to the Mormon teachings. Wow. Yeah.
2: Wow. Um, yeah. And quickly, I would just like to say, um, I had the weird, a weird phone call last Saturday, yeah, and what it what I called the number back,
4: uh-huh.
2: and what it was was um, somebody from the ward that I'm supposed to be active in
1: uh-huh.
2: had called me and invited me to a baptism. Oh, and I told him, no, I would not be there because I was inactive. And he said he told me that, Evelyn, I'm sure the Lord will find it in His heart forgive you if you decide not to come
1: oh how nice it
2: blew me away I've never heard of them
1: doing that yeah Evelyn you know what are you doing with your uh, life and your faith toward the Lord now
2: Well, I'm sort of stagnant um I'm I'm not LDS how old are you was affiliated with um A non-denominational church. Well, get reaffiliated And so I'm working on it. Well, go back. I know. I should. You should. It's just. I don't have. um, It's
1: not. It's not. It's not because the Lord is like gonna forgive you. I hope the Lord will forgive you for not going. It's that. It's good for you. (laughs) And you know, there's people there who can benefit from you too. And, you know, it's no. not always easy, and people, people are people no matter where you go. But go back, Evelyn. Okay. All right. Okay, I, I will, I will. It's going to take a lot of courage. Why? Um, what, what, are you, what, are you a leper? Do it again. Why is it going to take courage?
2: Um, I don't know. It's just like sometimes I feel like I'm never good enough.
1: Well, you're not. Who is? I mean, who is good enough? None of us are good enough to go and, and supposedly stand before God and worship and, and do all that. None of us are good enough, Evelyn. So when you go in, if you feel that way about yourself, understand that every single person is in the same boat. But it's not about that. Who, who was good enough? Jesus. And you believe on him. That's why he came, to be good enough where you and I couldn't be. So have faith in him. Get your person back into the church. And you just go, and don't worry about that. He was good enough for you, okay? Okay. All right, my sister. Kay. You take care. And, and thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. Oh, bye-bye. We're going to Trenton and Clearfield. Trenton, you're on Heart of the Matter.
4: Oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, hi. Hey. Um,
1: turn your TV down, Trenton, or we'll never have a conversation.
4: Okay. I guess mine's a little bit behind.
1: Yeah. you got to turn it down, or you'll never be able to converse with me.
4: Okay, Um, I just had a question. Yeah. Uh, I just recently moved here from Texas. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, down there, the Bible Belt, it's all just kind of everyone's Christian, and it's so much easier. But uh, (laughs) I moved up here, and I made new friends, and all of my friends are LDS. Mm -hmm. And um, all the facts you were stating, I mean, I just know all of these, just so many contradictions and things. And uh, I, don't, I don't know how to convince my friends. They'll, they'll always just say, oh, it's anti-Mormon gossip. And I don't know how to convince them that they're true, just stated facts.
1: Yeah, you can't. And you, <laughs> c- you can't convince them, uh, Trenton. There's, there's, let me tell you a couple things. First of all, all the facts in the world mean nothing to someone who believes. OK, you can show them uh, pictures of Joseph Smith riding a white donkey naked and uh, and they're going to say that's made up. It doesn't matter. See, so what you have to do is what Jesus said, and that is pray, pray God. to your friends that they will come around and then lead you to positions where the right situation will come up where you can share things that are going to help them, but it is not up to you. It is totally, completely up to the Lord to reach them, if they have ears to hear, hearts to feel, eyes to see, things like that. It That's takes so the nice. onus off you completely.
4: Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you. Um, I was going to have one more quick thing, if I can. Yeah. Um, uh, well, a lot of times, you know, they'll ask about... Uh, well, I know it's true because I prayed about it. I know the prophets are true. But I know I've read that you don't pray to know if a prophet's true. Yeah. I mean, right? Right. And I, I don't know. It's just I can't talk to them about anything. They'll just always yeah. change the subject or they just won't listen.
1: What, you, what you're faced with is the problem with which most people face moving here or living here in Utah. And that is you're a believer and you're associating with and having friends who are LDS. And that interaction, sometimes it works, uh, but often it becomes very tenuous and there's difficulty and you're going to wind up feeling frustrated because you're outnumbered and they, are, they don't care about what the facts you have are to share. But you just keep representing Christ in love. You talk about Jesus being the only way. You share uh, that. ask them about being born again. I talk to them about their sin. That's, those are some methods that I feel work better than any other. And uh, you just keep going, my friend. And I would suggest you you try to find and find a local church that has some people your age who are Christian, and start hanging out with them too.
4: Okay, definitely.
1: Hang in there, my brother. Thank you. Okay, bye. I got to tell you something. We moved here uh, a week two weeks ago, and uh, I've visited here every week. Half of my life for the past six years has been here in Utah. Was not like living here. Uh, The minute we moved here, I started. Hanging out like I do when I work on things publicly, and I became a member of the community. And so I started actually really, really tuning into what was going on around me. And I don't know how you guys have done it. I mean, I was ready to go postal inside of Burger King the other day. One booth was a lady talking about her husband in, in, the, in the ward, and, and some people need to get their holly done for the centerpieces. And, and at the other table was this guy talking about how Joseph Smith was so, such a righteous man of God, and how, how I mean, I don't know how you do it. I've got a fifth of whiskey sitting in the car. I, I, I haven't touched it, but it's calling to me, baby. I'm just kidding. Uh you guys have had it tough. I mean tough. So I have more empathy for you now and I'm having to learn how to kinda to deal with it. And it's not a pretty sight. All right, let's go to uh Sonny. We're gonna try Sonny again. Line two. Sonny, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Sonny.
5: Um, I wanna tell you tell you first how much I appreciate what you do. Oh, praise God. I really thank you so much for everyone. Um I have a comment, uh, well, a couple of comments. I have often felt when people who are currently LDS members call you and sort of it's a, a bash session, Yeah. I have thought, you know, I have to wonder if maybe there's the Holy Spirit just tapping away. I don't understand why they would watch a program. <laughs>
4: yeah. The,
5: thought. the other thing I have to say is um, I I – look at you your uh, internet or on youtube Uh i read your or listen to your things i haven't heard you actually address what it means to be a 33rd degree mason what um at the 33rd degree uh there are well i'll just say it outright. it's a kind of a hookup with satan and i color me crazy but um that is what i know of and so Joseph
1: Smith became a 33rd degree Mason in, what, two days? Yeah, in so, November. I don't
5: know. I haven't heard you address that part of
1: it. You know, I don't know. Uh, I can't recall what it actually means, except they called it then the sublime degree. And w- mm-hmm. uh, what I do know is Joseph translated that, that progressive climbing of the Masonic temple to the 33rd degree to be the celestial kingdom level Within the temple ordinance in the temple work, but that's how he that's how he kind of transliterated it over into his temple ceremony. But what it actually means in masonry, I don't, I couldn't tell you because I one I can't remember I've read it before, uh, but maybe someday when we cover masonry again, we can cover that. Okay. It probably isn't too difficult to find out. You type in Google, hey, what's a 33 degree I, I, mason?
5: Yeah, I've I've looked that up. I'd what does it say? If your callers knew that or or all this. Symbolism
1: on the yeah, there's a lot of that. Oh. <laughs> Thank, totally. Thanks so much for your call, Sonny. Hey. Thanks.
5: Bye-bye.
1: Okay, bye. Uh, <coughs> we have Bernadette. I've always liked that name, Bernadette. Bernadette, Salt Lake City, Utah, first-time caller. Bernie, what's up?
6: Uh, hey, it's Sean, very good. Thank you for your presentation every, every Tuesday. Love it. Anyway, I was down at uh, Temple Square seeing the lights with my son and his family, their LDS. And he started pointing out the symbols on the temple. And after reading the Ten Commandments on their wall there, which I was wondering were the same Ten Commandments as our Ten Commandments, he showed the Big Dipper that are in stars there on the, the temple facing uh, west. And then the, circular, the, the, the uh, windows uh, facing north that are symbolic of the lunar system. Hmm. And I started looking, and then there was a handshake, which he said depicted, I am the Alpha Omega. So I'm just asking, what other symbols can I look at at the temple um, and explain it to me?
1: Uh, uh, Again, the best thing to do is go online and look at uh, Salt Lake City Temple uh, symbols. And you'll get, you'll get really good stuff on that off the top of my head. I can't tell you, but what I can tell you is most of them uh, refer to Masonic ordinances. Oh, those, really? Those handshakes that you see carved in stone outside the temple are just the same handshake, the secret handshakes the Masons have always done. And what every Mormon does when they go into the temple and they go through that process, they learn the secret handshakes to give each other. Uh, And so that handshake is replicated on the outside of their temple, which they got from masonry. There's also an inverted star, which is not a good sign historically in terms of things, Uh, but there's debate as to whether who made that popular, Satanists or Masons. Uh, There's a number of things that have to do with the uh, astrology and astronomy, Uh and uh, that that really just shows you where the mind of Joseph was, and uh, it was not on God's Word, it was on his own interpretation of all these mystical, magical forces. And those are completely brought in and then regurgitated out upon every Mormon person who goes to that temple and receives all those rituals and rites that he uh, created.
6: What about the, the Ten Commandments that are there on that wall facing west?
1: They have the same Ten Commandments we do. Okay. Uh, the problem is, is there a view of the Ten Commandments? Uh, they, they believe that, by, uh, that, that we still live by those Ten Commandments. When Jesus in the New Covenant said, hey, a new commandment I give you, God. and that is to love, and, and in that all the Ten Commandments are found, we don't. and Paul says we are dead to the law. We don't, we don't look at those Ten Commandments and say, hey, I follow that one, I follow that one, that makes me good. We say we're dead to it because we can't follow it. We're alive in Christ, and so they put those Ten Commandments up there, and I think that's appropriate to reveal who they are. They really believe that by thinking they're obeying those things, they have achieved the righteousness of God when they have failed completely.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: Well, the lights are, were very beautiful. It's a, it's an inspiring place, but there are thousands of uh, Mormons there. And
1: yeah, I- you can inspire with light, can you? Pardon me. You can inspire with light. <laughs> you know, you know, Jesus in in John, he said, "Be careful that the light that is within you is not darkness." It's a really oh. interesting phrase.
6: I know. What about the Jesus Christ statue that's in the the the? Uh, one conference area. Isn't
1: it funny that one of those 10 commandments that they have on the temple is, uh, is what talks about graven images, right? Right, right. Yeah. And yet there they have the Christos and which is the biggest graven image I've ever seen.
6: Huh? So that's it, not our Jesus Christ, right?
1: Uh, not mine. Huh. Mine's alive. Huh? That's an image in stone. And we don't even know he looked like that.
6: Oh, that that's scary.
1: Plus he's 40,000 feet tall in that thing.
6: Okay, dear. Well, thank you very much. Keep going. I'll see you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: You know, uh, Galatians warned, don't even trust an angel of light. Lights, you know, we, I hear all kinds of people who go to that temple square for the light thing. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. You know, drive down about 600, I don't know, 450 miles south, and you're going to come to a place at night that's lit up like you can't believe. And it glows in the desert. Man, you're like, whoa, the truth must be here. It's called Las Vegas. So uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't know what you want. Lift and open the word of God. See what God says. All this stuff, is just, it's just trickery. Okay, listen, let's go to Jason South Ogden, first-time caller. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hey, Sean, how's it going? This is Jason Mutchmore from South Ogden. How you doing? Good. I don't know if you remember me or not. You, uh, I don't. I uh, did a service my uncle Tom at his uh, um, funeral. Oh, yeah! How you doing? Good, how are you? Good. I had a question for you. Um, You know my wife is LDS? And, well, was LDS? Well, we got into a little predicament with her family again, as usual, (laughs) the other day about um, after you die. And when you go to the temple, they say that um, let's see if I can get this right. Um,
0: Forever and
3: all in eternity, we are still. Yeah. And my Uncle Tom always told me that when you die, you just go up as uh, all family members and stuff like that. I was just wondering which way is true, which way is... Do you kind of get my question?
1: I do. You know, Jason, we don't really know. Uh, We say absent from the body, present with the Lord... Uh, Paul talks a lot about us going into uh, heaven. We know about being at peace and rest, but Abraham's bosom. We have all kinds of references, but I would be incorrect to try to describe what actually happens when someone dies, what happens to their soul. Now, I do know this. Believers do not go to a place that is ugly. People shed, are covered in the blood of Jesus, they go to a place of rest and peace. Where it is and how it works, I'm not sure. And even the Bible, people will say, well, what says this, we don't know. And I do know that people who are not covered in the blood of Jesus go to a bad place. Those two things I know. Everything else is still, is, is, is up to conjecture. And it's really interesting, Jesus, uh, Jesus, (laughs) you know, Jesus, this is amazing. No, it's really interesting, Jason. Um, Jesus didn't tell us very much about the eternities. He didn't tell us very much about after death. He just said, you know, you got to trust me, live by faith. And God, he wants us to hang on to that, to that idea of trusting him. And, and, and so I would say that to you. Trust that he will do the most amazing things for those who believe and are covered in the blood of his son. All right, my brother?
3: Well, that's great because you, you baptized us and we read the Bible every single night, every single chance we get. We start in John and go through Acts. And Acts, we start reading a lot more and more over and over again because there's a lot to take in. But we do, we do it every single night, just like we're supposed to.
1: Keep going, my brother. That's awesome.
3: Thank
1: you. You take care. But, okay. Okay, Bye. bye-bye. We're going uh, to Mike and Harriman. Mike, <laughs> you're on Heart of the Matter.
0: Sean, hey. Hey. This is Mike. I've met you and <laughs> attended your Bible study uh, quite a few times at the U. And um, I just recently got your book in the mail. I got the pre-order, And um, I was married uh, in the LDS church and was sealed in the temple with my uh, ex-wife. Uh-huh. And um, I just received a letter from her bishop saying that she wanted to cancel the sealings. Uh-huh. And I was okay with that I know that doesn't hold any kind of water in the eyes of God or anything like that but um, with your book the quote that you have on the back um, by the LDS apostle Anton H. Lund that says "We invite a comparison of the principles we believe in with in with those taught by Jesus Christ and his disciples um, I use that quote as the header of the letter in response back to the um, praise God up's request to hear my side of the story or that that was a request Um Basically, I use that letter is to kind of refute and rebut what they were trying to teach as far as the LDS ceiling goes. And awesome, um, it's amazing what the words of Christ um, leads in that truth. And I was discussing this with my aunt that is LDS, and you know we got into a big long discussion about uh, LDS theology. And every time that she would say something uh, in contradiction i would always ask why didn't christ come what was the purpose for christ coming she kept talking about being sealed and how they need to be sealed and kind of how you said earlier in the show that if the uh husband and wife are sealed then the kids can eventually be brought up then i asked them okay then why does your daughter need to accept christ yeah why and again circular reasoning and not a real good clear answer but Again, I appreciate all that you do. Your book's fantastic. I recommend anybody uh, go out and get it. But
1: Thanks, Mike. I, I, I'll send you the check later, okay? <laughs> thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks for, thanks for watching. We'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. All right, bye. All right, listen, uh, this is a question with the archives. Uh, I don't understand shows on Channel 20 talking about polygamy. I'm talking about ours and Doris Hanson's, I'm assuming. Like it's a current uh, issue in the church. Why don't you leave it alone and let it die? The church has. First, Joseph Smith introduced polygamy as an eternal principle. That means that it will never, ever, ever, ever go away. That it has always existed and that it cannot be changed, even by God himself. This is why LDS Church today here in Salt Lake City has not taken Doctrine and Covenants 132, which is the revelation Joseph Smith said he had on plural marriage and removed it from their canon today. That is why they still have the canon in their scripture about eternal marriage because it is an eternal principle which will never go away. Secondly, they still practice polygamy spiritually. If I had a wife and I was LDS and my wife died and we were sealed in the temple, I could grab another wife and go get sealed to her. And and if she died or if I killed her, and then I could go to the temple and get another wife and be sealed to her. And ad infinitum, ad nauseum. And that would mean that when I die, I am with all of my wives in heaven. That is the true picture of LDS polygamy. They say in the the media, we have nothing to do with it. Uh, It's not part of our religion. Every single true Mormon must believe in polygamy. And all the Mormon uh, sects that are true sects that follow Joseph Smith do believe in polygamy. We're going to Troy in Taylorsville, line one. Troy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yes. Hey. You're on the air. you got to turn your TV down.
0: Okay, it's awesome. Okay. Um, i got a quick question for you. Yeah. Um, I moved here from Florida about three years ago, and we have a pretty large Hispanic community. Uh-huh. And I live in a pretty large apartment complex. Uh-huh. And uh, about every month or so, uh, we have LDS missionaries come by, and they ask me, because they see me I you know, definitely speak English, but they asked me, do I know of any Spanish-speaking residents living in, in the apartment? And can you explain that to me? Why do they do that? I yeah. mean, it's, it, it seems very odd to me. So that, there, was, that was my question for you.
1: It's a good question. Missionaries, LDS missionaries, are called to certain missions, and they uh, conform to the call of that mission. Those specific elders are called to teach Spanish-speaking people. They're not allowed to even teach English-speaking people. So they're constantly looking for Spanish-speaking people to whom they can teach. So when they ask you that, that's why. It's not necessarily that they're preying on Spanish people only because there's white guys, or even they could be white, but there's other elders who speak English who can only teach English-speaking. So they, they're they just adhering to the rule of the mission, and that is we're called to a Spanish-speaking mission, we've been trained in the Spanish language, or in the uh, Hispanic language, whatever it is, and now we have to teach only those who are uh, Spanish-speaking. Okay. Does that make sense?
0: Hey, yeah. Thank you very much for clearing that up for me. Uh, and like I said, since I've lived here for three years and had to deal with... With a lot of the LDS community, I, I just want to thank you for you and your show. It's 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 been very helpful. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Troy. You Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Recently on uh, national television, Mitt Romney. Uh, oops, I can't say that. We're going to talk about this another. Well, actually, there was a guy. It wasn't Mitt Romney. Well, maybe it was. I can't remember. Anyway, there was this guy on national television the other day, and uh, he referred to himself as a pastor. He was LDS, active his whole life, and he said that he pastored in the church. I want to tell you something. You want deception, you look at that right there, because that word is never, ever used in the LDS church in its circles among their people. They do not have pastors. There are no pastors. That is a Christian term that 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 person on TV, whoever he was, applied to himself. So... um, This shows how deceptive they will be in order to be involved in everybody else. I don't know why they don't say we don't use that term. The only time they use it that I can remember is in the temple when Satan refers to pastors as being in in his employment. So there you go with that. Arthur and Christopher, do you want to come up? If you do, come up. If you don't, don't. Now listen, uh, really quickly, um, go to www.xmormonfiles.com and um, sign up to be on the show if you've been LDS and if you're now a born-again Christian, w- www.xmormonfiles.tv, okay? If you've been LDS, you are now a born-again Christian, go on that site, put a, give us your information so that we can have you on our new show that's gonna start in January of 2012. It's gonna really help a lot of people to hear your stories. Don't be afraid. It'll be a very calm... I'm not going to even be there, so you don't have to be afraid of me. Two very calm, nice guys will be doing it. Secondly, remember, Saturday, 11 to 1, uh, Lifeway Christian Bookstores in Murray. We're having a book signing this Saturday, December 17th, 11 to 1. Come by, see me, and, uh, and uh, we'll give you a book from Lifeway Christian Bookstores, and that would be where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. Uh, we think it's a good one. And then also December 27th, our 300th show celebration. Show up uh, here at the studio, get here on time, get here early, 7 o'clock maybe, because the live studio audience will be packed. And then afterward, we're going to go and have a reunion pastor in the pub uh, at Denny's, probably about 9.30 on 5th South in downtown Salt Lake City. We'll be gathering there together to celebrate our 300th anniversary show. We thank all of you for your prayers, for watching the program, for sharing the program, talking about the program to other people. We thank you for your support in whatever way that comes. Uh, Volunteerism, um, financial support if you're so led of the Lord, And, and just being a Christian that shines a light of truth here in the state of Utah. So we love you. You're in our prayers. Join us next week as we continue to talk about the lost 116 pages of the Book of Mormon. See you here. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs>